unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach. And I'm super excited about this week's episode. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So you teased this episode last week and I was already excited about it. And then you sent me the show notes and the show notes read like a list of bullets for a very compelling sales letter about this podcast. So I'm kind of flying blind here, but just from reading the show notes, just from the, from the hints that you sent me, uh, I know this one's going to be a, a fantastic episode. Well, thanks. Uh, let, me, let me jump right in and let's talk about it as we go, especially since I'm um, digging up a ghost of your past, possibly, songwriting. Uh, so there's a Molly and Lichen or Leakin, I don't know how to say her name. She wrote a book called How to Be a Hit Songwriter, and she starts the book by saying this. All writers feel the same way. Novelists, poets, playwrights, and journalists. When my editor sent me his notes on the first draft of this book, even though accompanied by a glowing letter saying what a terrific job I'd done, I still had to hide in my bed for four whole days before I could muster the courage to address myself to making the necessary changes. Oh, man. And, you know, it's not just songwriters and playwrights. Though she didn't mention us, copywriters are often the same way. And sure, a lot of us are reluctant to rewrite, and this is especially true with our stories. But I want to tell you something. This reluctance is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, reason copywriters never make it to the next level in their writing and their careers. And we're going to look at a solution to that today. Okay, so I do want to just touch on this real quick. I know that when we used to write lyrics for our songs, sometimes mm -hmm. I would go through a week, two weeks of getting 16 bars correct before we would go and record it. I'd write it, I'd sit down and I'd look at it. I'd say, okay, I need to breathe differently at this point. I need to switch this word around, or I need to take this word out and replace it with this word. And a lot of people go into the studio and they just freestyle on top of beat and they say, okay, that's good. They cut it and it goes out. And there's, for the average consumer, it doesn't really matter. But for somebody who's like a connoisseur of, of hip hop or a connoisseur of whatever type of music, for that really high level um, buyer, that rewriting, that taking the extra time to perfect it really helps make the sale when it comes to music. Are you saying that when it comes to uh, copywriting, there's a similar, there's like an overlap where um, some copywriters can just slap something together. And if it's just a mass market product going to, to low quality, low hanging fruit consumers, it might work. But if you really want the high quality consumers, you really want those high quality uh, customers and clients that you need to take that same approach. I I'd say the, the second part is what I'm saying, but actually when you're trying to sell the mass market to lower quality customers, when you're trying to sell a two or a three or a five or a seven or a $10 product, 
it it has to be better, but maybe not exactly in the same way you're talking about. It has to be accessible. There have to, has to be no speed bumps, no hiccups, no burrs on the side of the pole as you slide down it. Uh, I'll get into it. it. It's a great question, and I'm, I'm really glad you have some experience with this. It, this will make this a much richer conversation. But, uh, you know, first, I want to say something that has not been rewritten and never will. And that is that copy is powerful. And you're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Okay, so what is it? about stories that makes rewriting stories so hard. And you could say the same thing about lyrics on a song, but we'll stick to stories. I believe there's two seemingly opposite puzzle pieces that go into putting together a magical story. And it doesn't seem like these puzzle pieces fit in the same puzzle, but they do. See, part of the problem with stories is you have two actions you need to take to come up with a good story. One is purely creative, and the other one is much more pragmatic and focused. And people have a hard time reckoning these two activities if they're not used to them. But if you leave either the creative or the pragmatic parts out, you'll never have the best story you could. And these two competing actions are, one, coming up with the idea of the story to begin with. That's the creative part. And the second part is refining the idea, which is more of a left-brain implementation skill, like what you were talking about, Nathan. Changing the breath here, changing the phrasing, changing the syllable, changing the word. Um, And so... um, what happens usually when a writer sits down to write a sales story for copy is they just try to write a story. They just figure, okay, uh, my task here is to write a story. And they might use a formula or a template. They might use one of my templates. They might use one of somebody else's. Or they might just jot down some notes or brainstorm. But most of the time, they don't have a process. And for some reason, and, and this may be the fault of the movies who show writers doing it this way, but remember, that's fiction. For some reason, they think they're supposed to sit down, turn on some imaginary faucet connected to the story reservoir, and the story's just going to come pouring out. Okay? Now, the thing is, that works fine, maybe, if you've written sales stories for sales letters, actual sales stories that have had to work dozens of times. So if you've got the mental muscle memory to write a story, that might be an okay approach. But even if you're that good, even if you're that experienced, you still are not often getting the best story you can, and there's a better way. And and here's what it is. Um, what works better 
than the approach most people take is that parts of the creative process, all successful pros know, but most people don't talk about it. It's, it's, they're not glamorous. They're not fun. They're how the sausage actually gets made, which is often, you know, dirty and unpleasant. And they're really not so cool. Now, people aren't ashamed of them so much as this stuff's tedious. And who wants to talk about something that's tedious? Well, today I do because uh, I think it's, it, it, it makes for stories that are anything but tedious. So there's, there's two steps. And there's a lot of activity within each step. The first step is to start generating different starting ideas. And here, let me say it this way. Let's say you have a product. You're selling the product and you need a story about what it's like for a customer to use this product. So you might think of a particular testimony, write down, you know, um, um, uh, Eli um, M. testimonial. Um, then, then you might think of a case study. You might write down Tom B. case study. Then you might think of um, uh, another testimonial. So you write down Joe M. testimonial. And um, you might have an inventor story or an origin story. You might write down inventor story, origin story. So you're, you're, you're not going to do this as fast as I'm saying it, right? But uh, you, you're going to take some time to just think of what the stories might be. You might actually write all of them out, or you might sketch them out, or you might just have a little note. Um, and here's, here's the reason you're doing that. See, no matter how smart and how good you are and how experienced you are, you don't know. You don't know what's the best story for this particular piece of copy yet. You don't even know everything you have in your mental inventory or your creative imagination just by thinking about it. You have to actually start looking around, generating ideas, typing them out, or writing them down. That's how it works. So that's all your first, for, you're lining up a number of possibilities of the story that, that you are going to use. And then there's a second step, and this is picking the best idea. So that's making a decision, picking one, and then working on refining it. And this isn't always so fun or so creative. Um, it's not, it's not the same thing at all as coming up with a new idea. It uses a different part of the brain, um, a different field of focus, but this is rewriting and rewriting is where the gold is. Now for copywriters who, you know, are really, you know, embracing their own identity as a creative person, this might seem beneath them or not creative. Sorry, it's part of the creative process. Uh, it, it just might not have as much dopamine involved. So there's a lot you can do when you're, you've got your, your, this one story, let's say you've written it out. You can change the order of events. Now, you don't want to do anything that's going to be deemed as deceptive in terms of you know, trying to get the customer to think the product can't perform in a way that it doesn't. But 
There are other things you can do to change the order of events. You can add emotional descriptions, um, both emotional adjectives and actions people take to demonstrate emotion. You can shorten some parts of the story. You can lengthen other parts. You can add something new to the story. You can change paraphrase to dialogue. You can change dialogue to paraphrase. And this is something you just demonstrated when you were telling your story about your time in the studio and your time leading up to the studio, Nathan. But experienced, successful, creative people realize this. A lot of people don't. You don't know what's going to work best until you try a lot of different combinations. And it's tedious sometimes. But the reward of the story that works just might make this worth it. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. Let me give a couple examples. I'd love to hear your feedback because I know this is something you know a lot about, um, certainly in music and probably in copy too. So John Cleese from Monty Python uh, is also a business speaker in addition to a really successful fellow star comedian. And he turned me on to the idea of generating more than one creative idea for the first step, the step one here. In a video I saw him, and you can find it on Vimeo, um, you know, if, if you really look for it, uh, John Cleese, C-L-E-E-S-E, and, you know, creativity. Of course, this idea of generating multiple creative ideas just to, to come up with one good one is not unique to him. It did not originate with him, but he explained it better than anyone else I've ever seen. So that's for step one. For step two, um, you know, the best-selling uh, horror writer Stephen King and screenwriter Aaron Sorkin have both publicly admitted, uh, Stephen King in a book and Aaron Sorkin in his master class, they both admitted that they rewrite their stories multiple times. Stephen King says, he rewrites each novel five times before it turns into a publisher. So, you know, there's a little bit of example that I'm just not making this up out of whole cloth, that this is how, the way it really works. What, what, what would you like to share about your experience? I'm just going to say it takes that polishing. You have to get the flow down and your first draft is never going to, is never going to hit it out the ballpark. You always want to go back and, and, um, one of the things that I like to do is I like to read everything out loud or I like to hand it over to other people to read and get their feedback. And um, a lot of times, and I do this with non-sales copy as well or non-story-based sales copy as well, but a lot of times just 
mulling over in my head for a week, put, writing it down, putting it to paper, and then just thinking about it and going back and refresh, you know, refreshing it and reading it with fresh eyes. And uh, again, the reading it out loud. If, if there are any speed bumps, um, this is one of the things that I learned from writing lyrics and then trying to go in and record them. A lot of times it looks good on paper, but when you actually try and spit the lyrics out, it won't, it won't have that same flow that you thought. So you have to go back and you have to say, I need to cut this syllable or I need to replace a three-syllable word with a four-syllable word. Or uh, I have to... I, I use the same word twice in two, um, two repeating sentences. Mm-hmm. And so these little things, if you, only, if you only type it up once or write it out once and then hit publish, you're never going to notice these things. So that polishing really helps smooth out any of the rough edges. It really helps create that flow that you're not going to get with just a single draft. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you. And, and that's, that's, you know, that's excellent uh, real world experience. I know I'm talking a little bit of a high level theory here, but I, I love what you said. So thank you. Um, so here's what writers normally do. Obviously not you, Nathan. Um, but a lot of writers do this. A lot of writers somehow have this belief that they need to get it right the first time. And they will think that it's a sign of a lousy writer if they have to write, if they write a lousy first draft. So as a result, they're very attached to getting their first draft perfect. And this can create writer's block. It can make it take far longer than it needs to. And, you know, any first draft in reality is far from perfect. And, but they spend all this time and they get this thing that they believe is perfect. And then they have this belief that anyone trying to mess with what they wrote is messing with a masterpiece, including themselves. (laughs) They don't want to mess with their own masterpiece because they spent so much time putting this masterpiece together. Okay. Now, real pros are a lot less sentimental about their first drafts. On the other hand, creative pros somehow, you know, uh, give themselves the permission to be very cranky and, uh, you know, they're going to uh, be temperamental and maybe they'll, they'll fight urges from other people to rewrite. But underneath all the drama, they know it's a process. They know this process is real. So. That's that's what writers normally do. There's another thing writers do. Good writers, bad writers, a lot of writers do this is when they start writing, uh, editors call this clearing the throat or the clearing the throat syndrome, where the first three or four paragraphs that they write are just sort of trying to figure out what they're going to say. And then they get to the meat of it, maybe in the fifth paragraph or the third paragraph or the fourth paragraph. So if you want to get good with stories and, you know, stories are so important, um, you need to, uh, and I mean, whether it's a two paragraph story or a two page story or a two hour story, like a feature film, right? You, you need to, you know, get used to this, these creative steps of generating multiple ideas to find one, choose the one, and then do multiple multiple versions of that. Can I ask you a question real quick? Sure. I want to say, I want to say it was in made to stick and they were talking about, uh, they were talking about actual article writing 
but there was a quote in there about somebody who was a copywriter and they were talking about how it also applies to writing articles. And he said, take your sales letter, write your first draft. And typically everything before the first half is going to be garbage. So cut it in half and use the second half. And I know that that's like a a very broad generalization rule, but that's what it brought up in my mind when you said a lot of people spend the first couple of paragraphs just clearing their throat. Um, what are your thoughts on that, both from your background as a, uh, as a news article writer and as a copywriter, the, the idea, of, um, the idea of, of not using the very first parts of your sales copy? Well, um, I, I, I think you've got to look at what's there and you've got to ask the question, if I started here, is this going to pull the reader in and does it tell them what they need to know to keep reading? And what they need to know to keep reading a news article is very different from what they need to keep reading, need to know, need to see to keep reading a sales letter. But yeah, um, I mean, sometimes you might strike gold, but very often people are, are just fumbling around. So, so that's what I think. And I, I do see a lot of sales letters where the first uh, more than two or three paragraph sometimes the first half of the sales letter is beating around the bush uh is is um not really doing any kind of selling and i don't know if it's a a good rule just to cut it in half but i do see a lot of times where people do waste a lot and if you're paying like if you're if you're paying to send out direct mail or if you're paying to send out uh or, or advertise in a, a newspaper where you're actually paying per letter um, what is it that causes? So I guess, what is it that causes people to waste so much of their ink? I think they really don't see it. I, I think, I think they really don't see it. And sometimes you want a second set of eyes and hire someone like me to do a critique. I'm pretty expensive for someone who has a tiny business, but, um, if, if you have, you know, a larger business and you're playing to use a big advertising budget, uh, it, it'll pay for itself very quickly. You know, one thing you might wonder about is why do writers resist rewriting and what happens when they do? Um, so let me be blunt. A lot of writers consider themselves special. And look, there's some truth to that. A good writer is special. He or she can do stuff other people can't do. But there's a big difference between special and perfect. And almost nobody gets it right the first time when it comes to really good writing, and you know, especially on a story. And when you think you're the exception to that rule, um, a couple of really bad things can happen. One, you become an exception, all right. You become an exception to the group of people that clients will hire. And the other thing is, you stop learning and growing. You stop getting better. And other people who have a much more humble, realistic attitude start to get ahead of you. They get better. And pretty soon, they're a lot better than you are. So here's what you should do. Here's how you should look at it differently. Stop looking at writing stories as some magical, mystical process that you and you alone understand and can do perfectly. As soon as you, you know, get the notion to do it and put some words together. Instead of that, 
start looking at writing stories as a craft with defined steps in the process and commit to master the craft. Understand it will take time and be frustrating now and then accept that and you get much better. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so those are, those are my thoughts. Well, I just want to really emphasize this. If, if people only take away one thing, the, the overall overarching idea of this is polishing it is really what makes it uh, shine. It, 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 even if you're the best storyteller out there, you still need to go back and polish it. And even if you don't think that you do, you really do. And I've written tons of story-based sales letters. I know that you have. And we're we're two people that have been doing this for years and years and years. And we still, even with our own stuff, we still say, hey, I need to go back and rewrite this. So anybody listening out there, there's not... I don't think there's an exception to the rule. No, I mean, maybe there is. I don't I don't know who it is. All I know is that the most successful people who talk about their writing process talk about this. I mean, the people who are best-selling authors, you know, great lyricists, great songwriters, uh, great singers, uh, great copywriters. So, yeah. Um anyway, you know, take it or leave it, but th- this is th- it is what it is. This is what it is. All right, David, another fantastic episode. And I, you know, do we have a, do we have something planned for next week or is it going to be a surprise? It's going to be a surprise. Okay. All right. Well, I can't wait. Uh, Next, same bat time, same bat channel. Yeah. See you then. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast.